You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope that you are comfortably sitting somewhere with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, or maybe you are listening to this in your car or while you're walking. But either way, make yourself comfy because you have probably guessed it. I have a story for you. This story is a little different from most of the stories aired in the airing cupboard up to now. Indeed, all of our stories speak about serendipity moments of great conversions and resolution, the completeness of the circle, the great circle of life. But what about when that just doesn't happen? When that circle isn't complete? When that tiny smidget is missing to complete it? Where the moment is just missed? for a reason or another. Is that also serendipity? Lately I have received quite a few stories about just that and that got me thinking. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So, on with our tale. So this is the story of a very interesting gentleman with whom I was put in touch. I had heard he had a story for me I spoke with him via an internet call on a Sunday afternoon, right at the beginning of lockdown. I was in my cupboard, and he was in his garden, somewhere between North Africa and the Middle East. You can hear the birds chirping in the trees around him, and he was cuddling a chicken, as he explained to me. I have never met him. All I know of him is his voice. And gosh, his voice reminded me of that of Count Almasi in the film The English Patient. So I do hope he will not mind me calling him Almasi for the sake of retaining his anonymity. It's, uh, it's very nice to at least meet you on the phone. Um, yeah, you need to understand a little bit about me to understand my story. I was born in London, in the UK, in 1965, and my parents had been living there for two years. My father is German, and my mother is of Russian descent, but now uh, a U.S. citizen. And, of course, uh, you know, living in the U.K. in the 60s was a very exciting time. So, both he and his brother were born in the U.K. They went to English schools, spoke English between them and with their friends. They also learned French, but at home, it was the father's tongue, German, that was spoken. However, and sadly, they never really learned Russian properly, the language of their mother. Almasi's mother speaks an old Pushkin Russian, the language that was preserved by the immigrants that left Russia in the 1917-18 Bolshevik Revolution and he used to hear the language as a child when he visited his grandparents in the United States. He knew a few sentences and words, but 
As much as he was accustomed to the music of the language, he really couldn't speak it. Almasi pursued a career in international banking, and once, in the 1990s, when he was about 31, on a job application, he wrote that, as well as being fluent in English, German and French, he had basic Russian. He was interviewed and he was told that Russian was an essential language requirement for this job because the bank he would be working for had a lot of business with the big hydrocarbon state-owned enterprises in Russia at the time. And so, when one week later he received the job offer in the post, he panicked, terrified that he wouldn't be able to speak or understand the language that he would be working with. And he turned to his Russian mother, saying he should go to Russia immediately to get his language skills at least to a basic level. And I went to St. Petersburg and I did a language course there, private one, and I stayed with a, a family from Gabardinia. And uh, it was a very Russian experience. Uh, but, you know, by the end of it, I could sort of say, give me bread or, you know, where is the railway station? And for someone who's, you know, in investment banking and supposed to negotiate with the big, mighty companies of Russia, this was actually embarrassing. So when he joined this bank in Frankfurt, he was put in an office working alongside a Russian lady. She was part of the Russian team. And that made it even worse. He was fearful to be found out for his linguistic fraud any moment soon. So when a year and a half later, he was asked to take his four weeks of overdue holidays. Being single at the time and having no great plans, he decided to go back to Russia and improve his language skills. At the time, he had just finished reading this lovely book called The Princess of Siberia, the story of Maria Volkonskaya in the 1920s, a Russian princess whose husband is exiled to Siberia in Irkutsk, on the edge of Lake Baikal. So he decided that this was where he wanted to do his language course. And he did his 10, 15 phone calls, and in no time, he got himself a place at the Technical University of Irkutsk. One-on-one -on -one tuition with full lodging with a Russian family for a month. And in his romantic dreams of going to Siberia, retracing the steps of Princess Volkonskaya, he had overlooked that he was going in the middle of the Siberian winter, late February. But this wasn't going to deter him. And so a few weeks later, he arrived in Irkutsk, in minus 35 Celsius. The family welcomed him in this small apartment. Sergei, the father, a geograph, Lydia, the mother, who worked in a factory, and the 21 years old daughter, Katya, the teacher. Their financial situation was precarious and it obviously was restraining them in their lives and outlook. So I asked Almasi if Katya, the daughter, was pretty. And he told me that of course she was of great beauty, 
like all Russian women, with the slight exception of her mother, Lydia, who was enormous and would swallow you whole in a single embrace. The apartment was very small. No English was spoken. Almasi was given the sofa to sleep on in the living room. All around him were small yogurt pots filled with soil and tomato plants, cucumbers, herbs and other seeds germinating. An unsuspected greenhouse in a great tower in the centre of a Siberian town. Some nights he would be woken up by Sergei, the father, who was a secret smoker and in dire need of a nicotine fix. He would climb on top of the fridge in the kitchen and standing there in his underpants, under the little vent, he would secretly smoke his strong Soviet papyrosi cigarettes, blowing the smoke straight into the hole in the ceiling. And sometimes Almasi would be invited to join him there. And together they would stand on the fridge in the middle of the night, in their pants, puffing and smiling while large Lydia would be snoring away with all her might next door in the small double bed. When Almasi wasn't at university receiving his language tuition, he would be exploring Irkutsk. But the best times were when Katya, the daughter, came with him and shown him places. She was very shy. And although she probably could speak a little English, they rarely spoke, barely a word. She would show him the beauty of the city with its orthodox architecture. They would walk by the Kazan church, whose red bricks contrast with its bright blue roof. She also took him cross-country skiing through the forests, in the silence, amongst the fir trees and the branches laden with snow, gliding together over the white, pristine winter blankets that was covering all and everything. Or to the southern tip of Lake Baikal, which had frozen over, surrounded by nothing but Siberian beauty. In the biting cold wind, both wrapped in furs, their face buried in the shapka. And Almasi lived like this with the family for four weeks. They had welcomed him into their lives. He had learned a lot and when the time came to say goodbye, he knew he would most likely never see them again. Life resumed for him in Europe. Years passed and eventually he found himself living back in London. Now his brother also lived in London at the time. He had established himself as an antique dealer. He had a beautiful shop in a little London street with his name, the name of his family, elegantly hand-painted on a large billboard over the front door and the shop window. One Friday afternoon, 
Almasi was sitting at his desk at work and he received a call from his brother. Did he have a minute right now? Of course, Almasi immediately stopped what he was doing. His brother explained he had with him in his shop someone who wanted to speak to him, a young woman. And at that moment, the brother passed the phone onto the girl, and Almasi heard a voice, a shy Russian voice, one that transported him in an instant from the comfort of his London office to the wild beauty of white Siberian landscapes. Katya. It was Katya from Irkutsk. She had been living in London for the last year. She was working there as an au pair. She had been walking by when she had noticed from across the street the familiar name on the shop's billboard and gathering courage, she had walked in, asking if by any chance anyone knew of an Almasi with the exact same surname. He was amazed and happy, looking forward to seeing her and being somehow reunited with this part of his life. So he took her phone number and wrote it carefully down on a piece of paper. He was sadly busy that weekend, but he promised to call her Monday morning. This time, it was his turn to show off his city, to take her to places, to get her to discover the beauties of London, which had been his home for many years of his life. He thought about it all weekend and he was eager to get back to his office where the paper carrying a number was waiting on his desk, eager to call her. But when he got there on Monday morning, his desk had been perfectly tidied. The cleaners had been and had done their job beautifully and the small piece of paper on which he had written Katya's number was no longer there. It had been thrown away. He looked everywhere but never found it. For years and years I've had this bad conscience that finally I'm reconnected with someone who looked after me such a long time ago and that she plucked up the courage to walk into my brother's shop and get in touch with me and now I've lost her phone number and I have no idea how in the world to find her and get in touch with her. And it's funny, every year or two or three this story comes back in my head and I wonder where she is, but it's, uh, it's one of those moments in life and it was a beautiful moment, but uh, I still feel bad that I never managed to call her back. Et voilà, the story of Katia and Almasi. I want to thank him a million for letting me use his voice and most importantly for giving me his story. I told him that maybe one day when this little airing cupboard increases its reach, 
maybe, just maybe, Katya will hear her story and she will be in touch. One thing is sure, I shall keep my eyes peeled on the geographical mapping of my listeners and if Irkutsk pops up, I will be straight on the phone to one Marcy. I wish you all a very good two weeks and until we meet again in the airing cupboard. Goodbye.